This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 10th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. As the U.S. helps Saudi Arabia in its war in Yemen, the Associated Press reports the U.S. has provided special benefits to al-Qaeda forces in the region. How does the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia compromise American security interests? Cato's John Glazer and Sahar Khan comment. The United States, uh, in alignment with the Mujahideen, uh, were very interested in pushing the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. In Syria, the United States has been aligned, and maybe not directly uh, coordinating with, but definitely aligned with al-Qaeda in, in some efforts there. And now we learn from the Associated Press that the United States military, and, and to, be, to be clear, the Pentagon has denied this, but that the U.S. military has uh, bribed or paid al-Qaeda to advance U.S. interests in Yemen. So what are we to make of this? Uh, mo- these most recent uh, revelations from the Associated Press this week? Well, it's of a piece with how rotten we've known the Saudi-U.S. alliance to be for a long time. Uh, like you said, these problems go back a long way. And just to put it in context, you know, Yemen, the, the war in Yemen, uh, the Saudis launched it because uh, this Yemen opposition, uh, opposition group, the Houthis, um, were battling against the U.S. and Saudi-backed dictatorship uh, in Sana'a. Um, and at one point, it eventually led to the Yemeni president, President Mansour Hadi, to flee the country. And so the Saudis started bombing relentlessly in retaliation and trying to reestablish and reinstate that, that regime. Um, but at the same time, there was U.S. and strategic uh, sort of dynamics at play because it happened at a time when the Saudis were really fearful of a U.S. tilt towards Iran uh, during the Obama administration in the context particularly of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, and so they were kind of throwing a tantrum as a way to get U.S. backing, uh, as a way to kind of, kind of reassure that the that the alliance was still there. And we have indeed been supporting them in this, in this war against a largely impoverished and defenseless country, providing arms, refueling planes, providing logistics information, intelligence support, um, even amid mounting allegations that the Saudis have committed very serious war crimes, uh, bombing civilian infrastructure, schools, hospitals, uh, somewhere around 16,000 uh, civilians have been either killed or injured in these airstrikes. Plus, there's a Saudi blockade. So there's a huge humanitarian disaster that we are a party to in Yemen. So our involvement in the Saudi war in Yemen was disgraceful on a moral level from the beginning, but it was also uh, problematic strategically. Even before this report that you reference, um, we knew that the Saudi war in Yemen was bolstering al-Qaeda because the Houthis are opposed to al-Qaeda in Yemen. And of course, the chaos and anarchy has left sort of ungoverned spaces for AQAP or al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula to set up shop and start levying taxes and it, it has empowered them. And so now we find out from this Associated Press report that the Saudi government and some other uh, Arab governments in the region are coordinating with al-Qaeda fighters, cutting deals with them, providing money and weapons, uh, letting them flee areas. And there seems to be some indication that 
there's coordination with the Pentagon that we're you know, calling off drone strikes and airstrikes as these uh, al-Qaeda fighters flee. Um, so our close relationship with Saudi Arabia, uh, despite a long history of aiding and abetting, uh, however indirectly, some of the world's worst Sumi, Sunni extremists, um, is really problematic. Uh, and it's especially disingenuous when you hear the Trump administration talk about, you know, Iran's support for terrorism being the primary one of the primary purposes behind our antagonistic pol- posture towards Iran. Uh, for you know, they support Hezbollah and Hamas. These are groups with local concerns that certainly aren't on the top of the U.S. priority list in terms of terrorism. And yet, the Saudis and some of our other Gulf state allies have been kind of in cahoots with Sunni extremists from Al-Qaeda to ISIS uh, for, for, for years. And so uh, this is really uh, problematic and, and, and troubling. I think this also points to like a larger problem of how the U.S. forms its national interests or even its strategic interests. I mean, one way the U.S. wants to counter Iran, which seems to be this administration's top priority, and then also, the United States has been battling al-Qaeda for, you know, since since 9-11 in various places. So it's very counterintuitive that at one point and in one location, they would actually almost facilitate or be okay with, you know, deals being cut with al-Qaeda, but in other places, they actively go against them or they actively counter them militarily, which we see in Syria. So I think this actually, if nothing else, shows how um, U.S. strategic interests are problematic um, and they're not consistent. Um, And oftentimes they end up facilitating terrorist groups more than countering them. And, you know, Sahar makes a good point here because a lot of this is just pre-existing policies that our institutions and bureaucracies and the executive branch are in the habit of uh, carrying out. You know, we, we've we've always been supportive of the Saudis. We've always been antagonistic towards Iran. And even when these huge contradictions in our strategic policy, uh, the fact that our allies are the ones that are worsening the terrorism problem for us, um, come up. You know, we can't even we can't change policies because these these postures are so embedded in our strategic culture that we can't overcome them. So, if the problem here is uh, ongoing and long term. Uh, the United States, you know, in these conflicts seems to have been substantially compromised or at the very least is being asked to divide its attention, at least our military is being asked to divide its attention and weigh the relative bad guys in various regions uh, involved in wars that essentially have nothing to do with us. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's right. I think actually, you know, Cutting deals with militant groups in of itself is not problematic. I mean, one of the ways that terrorist groups or militant groups end, right, is 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 either if their leader is killed or captured or if they're able to become part of a legitimate political process or if their grievances have been met or if, you know, their quest for whatever they're seeking doesn't transfer to the next generation. So, you know, militant groups, terrorist groups can can end. So cutting deals with them, I don't think is fundamentally problematic. But I think when it comes to al-Qaeda and the United States, it is very problematic because the global war on terror began with the fundamental promise of the U.S. that al-Qaeda would never be a threat again um, and and to counter al-Qaeda. Now, granted, al-Qaeda is no longer an existential threat to the United States. Um, but I think the fact that this report was hidden or this idea that the U.S. could 
even indirectly be involved in any kind of negotiations or political deals indicates our own sort of desire to always have a military solution no matter what, even if there's empirical evidence on the ground indicating that military solutions are not actually solutions that they aggravate the problem. The second issue is that these deals point to, I think, these are short-term solutions. They don't really address why Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula exists. What is their grievance? Why do they continue to aggravate um, U.S. forces or aggravate the region? Um, And I think that's one of the main problems. Every single person, either on the military side or even on the diplomatic side is extremely short-sighted. They're just worried about how to fix the problem in the next few years rather than having a long view of like how to address grievances. Part of what's going on here too is the prevailing presumption that we as the United States need to be intimately involved in the Middle East's internal problems, right? So if you buy the idea that we have to be deeply involved in the Middle East, that we have to have a military presence there, that we have to uh, side with one faction or the other, um, then it's you know it follows from there that you're going to get caught up in these kind of internal squabbles with different tribes or different terrorist groups in different states, and you know competing strategic visions between the Iranians and the Saudis, et cetera. But if you instead ask the question about you know, uh, our, our, our foundational principles of why we're in the Middle East, if you, if you scrutinize that for a bit, uh, it, it becomes pretty clear, I think, that we don't need, you know, the Saudis do not represent a huge advantage for U.S. interests. Um, it seems to me the, the best way that they are an advantage to U.S. interests is in boosting oil production and output when we want to sanction Iran uh, on, on oil. Uh, but if we, again, question the prior, do we need to be aggressively sanctioning Iran's oil uh, industry? Uh, the Trump administration is getting, trying to get it down to zero. Um, no. So we can easily take a step back from this region. And if we do that, all of these problems that we are now you know, so intricately uh, involved with, begin to disappear as as so peripheral as to not warrant U.S. lives, U.S. treasure, or, you know, U.S. entanglement. Is it too simplistic to say that because the U.S. Uh, over many years has decided that its relationship with Saudi Arabia is important, and uh, also that the United States ought to be involved at some level, and maybe at some points intimately involved, in Middle East affairs, that this kind of deal cutting with groups like al-Qaeda and and who knows who it might be in the future uh, is inevitable? Well, that's again, if you accept the prior. I mean, there's essentially three strategic reasons why we have to be in the Middle East. Number one, we have to protect our allies, our traditional allies, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, They're important strategically to us, so we have to be uh, defending them. Uh, Number two, terrorism, right? Uh, and number three, oil. Uh, we, number one, do not have to be protecting these traditional allies. They are powerful enough to defend themselves and our involvement on their behalf often leads to counterproductive policies that are against U.S. interests. On the terrorism issue, uh, terrorism is a minor and manageable threat, not a war to be won. Uh, and uh, it's uh, peripheral and minor enough that we don't need to be uh, engaging in costly wars and proxy wars in the Middle East in order to counter it. 
you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to be killed in a terrorist attack here at home. And then for oil, it's kind of a myth that we need to be present in the region in order to secure the free flow of oil. I mean, most of the justification for our presence in the Persian Gulf, for example, is to ensure the free flow of oil so that Iran wouldn't uh, try to close the Straits of Hormuz, through which uh, a huge percentage of seaborne traded oil flows. But Iran has no interest in closing the Strait of Hormuz. If they did so, they would garner an international response that would probably lead to military action and threaten their entire existence. Uh, and plus, they export most of their oil through the Straits of Hormuz. They'd be damaging themselves economically, even absent some kind of massive international response. So these three justifications, I don't think, um, pass the smell test. It's also very much tied into some of the economic interests that domestic U.S. players have, too. I mean, we often forget when we talk about the military that the U.S. military complex is large and it has a lot of money and it's in a lot of people's interest to keep the status quo. So even though we know that Israel can defend itself and that Saudi Arabia can defend itself, there will be a lot of people in D.C. and perhaps even beyond who would argue that, no, we should we should be there. And they're not necessarily arguing for U.S. strategic interests. They're arguing because it makes business sense to them. Same can be applied to the oil stuff and same can be applied um, to the terrorism-related threats too. So I think when we talk about U.S. strategic interests, we also always have to keep in mind just how big um, and how much money is involved within the U.S. as well. This is, uh, it seems like a pretty fairly underreported story. Saudi Arabia has cut all trade ties with Canada. Is there any relationship here to with uh, relations with the U.S.? Well, it's pretty startling what's going on. I mean, Saudi Arabia has lashed out at Canada because um, the foreign minister pointed out that, uh, you know, some re repression in Saudi Arabia against rights activists and dissidents. Uh, and of course, Saudi Arabia, despite our being a freedom-loving nation, is one of the worst totalitarian states in the world. Uh, and so, yes, they repress and abuse their people. Um, despite the fact that we don't make a big stink out of it uh, comparatively with Iran, for example. Um, and so Canada you know, pointed this out and said they, they hope that these people get released from, from prison. Um, and Saudi Arabia lashed out and they expelled their Canadian ambassador. Uh, they froze all new business ventures with Canada. They withdrew, I think, around 15,000 Saudi students that were uh, uh, in, in Canada, and they suspended all flights to Canada. And this is intended, I think, to intimidate critics into silence. Uh, and, you know, they're claiming, oh, this represents, the Saudis are claiming this represents Canadian meddling in our internal affairs, and we don't do that kind of thing. I mean, come on, that, that is a laughable claim. Saudi interference in Yemen, in Bahrain to crush democratic protests, in Qatar, uh, in Syria, in the Syrian civil war to support extremists. In the U.S., they lobbied uh, against the Obama administration's diplomacy with Iran. So they've, they've meddled in our own affairs. The, the, the most egregious part of all this is that there's been no real pushback from the Trump administration. They won't even publicly criticize the Saudis for battering our most friendly uh, and proximate neighbor to our north. It's, it's kind of a bizarre situation. I almost view it as the Saudis are doing this with Canada 
just to show that they can and that the U.S. won't say anything. Because the the Trump administration, especially President Trump, has not had the best best relationship with Canada. Um, and so I think, you know, this is a Saudi way of sort of almost um, to indicate their prestige in a way that, look, no matter what we do, we can go against um, the U.S. U.S.'s neighbor, Canada, and, and Canada's not, and the U.S. is not going to say a word. I, whole think, I think the whole thing is really bizarre, to be honest. Sahara makes a good point here because it, it, it goes back to what I said about uh, the Saudi intervention in Yemen. Saudi Arabia, you know, we talk a lot about um, free-riding allies, right? These, these allies that uh, benefit off of U.S. largesse to defend them and therefore don't spend enough on defense. This is, a, this is the conversation going on with NATO. But there's another impact that our alliances have, which is not free-riding, but what's called reckless driving. That is to say, states that we protect know we'll protect them, and so they act recklessly. They act. They throw tantrums in impoverished nations to their south to bomb uh, innocent people relentlessly. Um, they attack uh, the United States' own allies, like Canada, uh, knowing that we're so uh, devoted to Saudi security and the and the and the Saudi relationship uh, that we won't speak out against it. Uh, this is not in our interests. I mean, we really need to start reevaluating in an objective way the utility of the alliances that we have. And I cannot see how Saudi Arabia rampaging throughout the Middle East, uh, supporting some of the worst extremist Sunni groups in the world and battering our own allies is in our interest. We really need to reevaluate things. Sahar Khan is a visiting research fellow and John Glazer directs foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.